0: The so-called don't say gay law down in Florida has generated a lot of headlines and a lot of alarm. We wanted to dig into what this law actually says and the ripple effects it can and is already having. Our guest is Tobias Wolf. He is the Jefferson B. Fordham Professor of Law at the University of Pennsylvania Carey Law School. So to start, this law that has been referred to as don't say gay out of Florida, can you kind of break down what it actually says and prohibits?
1: Sure so it's a law that regulates public schools and it does a number of different things in setting new policy for florida public schools the primary thing that folks have focused on and that we'll probably spend a lot of time talking about is a restriction on teachers when it comes to certain kinds of classroom instruction and i'll read the relevant language of the bill it's good to start with the actual language the florida law says uh quote Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. That's the language that people have labeled as the don't say gay language and don't say trans as well for that matter. There's also a a bunch of other provisions in the law that are framed as parental notification and control provisions. And they have to do with disclosure to parents of uh, health-related issues, health-related gathering of information by schools about students, and a series of statements to the effect that school officials, teachers, staff, are not allowed to have conversations with students in which there's any sort of preference for keeping those conf- conversations confidential, right? The, the Florida has essentially set policy for their public schools that says short of a situation where there's a, a specific known danger of abuse that school officials should not be encouraging or be encouraged to have conversations with students that are gonna be kept confidential. Now, that's kind of a different conversation. I think uh, to have a really well-informed conversation about that, you'd want somebody who's an expert on both educational policy and sort of social work uh, type considerations. That's not my area of expertise, but I will say that I'm concerned about that part as well because I think we all sort of understand that part of the function of good teachers and good school staff and administrators is to be a trusted resource for students. And that if students are aware that anytime they have a conversation with a teacher or a staff person or a health official at school about, for example, questions that they have about sexual orientation, that the school is being instructed that they can't Make that a private conversation that I have to go immediately and let the, the parents know about it. Students are not going to turn to their teachers and, and school staff as resources, which I have a lot of concerns about too. But the thing which has gotten the most attention is this restriction on classroom instruction. And uh, so, what does it mean to say that school teachers and third parties in the classroom in public schools are not allowed to engage in instruction when it comes to sexual orientation or gender identity? Uh, I think most people would hear that language and think, well, that's telling teachers you can't have a whole lesson plan on the gay rights movement, or you can't have a whole lesson plan on how we think about or define transgender identity and trans people's participation in society. That's already a big deal, right? Because we teach students about all kinds of parts of our history and contemporary culture. We teach students about the civil rights movement for black Americans, the civil rights movement for Asian Americans, for Latino Americans, for women. Apparently, the civil rights movements for gay and trans people are not allowed to be spoken of in the schools, which is a big deal. But the thing is that language about instruction is very broad and encompassing language, right? if you look at case law that deals with school instruction, when lawsuits happen about that topic, instruction basically means anything that happens and anything that gets discussed inside the classroom. And so the concern is that what this law means is that teachers may feel like they can't even talk about the existence of gay people at all or the existence of trans people at all. And one of the most important features of this bill, and this is sort of piggybacking on this trend, which I think is a really worrying trend, uh, that started with the Texas anti-abortion law is that the enforcement mechanism includes a private right of action by parents. Parents can sue school districts for damages if they think that a school has in any way violated the restrictions under this law. And if they win, they can get their attorney's attorney's fees paid. You know, it's a very aggressive right of action. And so, you know, imagine that you're a school district and you're looking at this law, you don't know exactly what the boundaries of classroom instruction means in this context. You have parents of some of the students in your uh, district, maybe even only a handful of them, who if they hear any suggestion that their kids are hearing about the existence of gay people in any way, they're going to bring a lawsuit and potentially subject the district to crippling liability that it can't afford. And so, my guess and my fear is that districts are going to simply say to teachers, what we are instructing you to do is to stay as far away from any reference to gay or trans people of any kind as possible, basically, erase their existence from the entire uh, life of the school. And that's not just an instructional pedagogical concern, that's a concern about the equal access of education to students and what it does to young people to have their. Existence erased from the world that they're living about. That's the broader implication of this law that I think is the most concerning.
0: And you touched on two things that were follow up questions for me. And the first one is the idea of kind of the vagueness of it. And it seems to me, and you kind of pointed this out feature not a bug. Like the idea is to kind of leave it out there so that everyone on both sides can get their own interpretation that, you know, people say to your point that it's going to prevent teachers from just, it's just easier to not mention at all. Whereas people in favor of it say, well, it doesn't say X, Y, and Z. So I don't understand what the problem is. Like a bad faith argument from that direction. Um, and that, that is really alarming because I think you're, to your point, you're gonna have a lot of good faith teachers who are just trying to teach, just trying to, to get through the school year. Well, you know what? I, I can't take the chance of of getting involved in this.
1: And and think about how it would play out in exactly that way, right? So imagine you've got a, a, a class on civics in a third grade class. And part of what you're doing is teaching the students about Congress and about what Congress is and how it works. And we have senators and we have members of the House of Representatives. So there are gay members of the House of Representatives from Florida. Right. So let's say that your school is in a district that has a gay representative in the U.S. House of Representatives. So you're teaching your students and you say, all right, our senators, uh, here's one of our senators, Senator Marco Rubio. And here's his story. And, you know, he's married and he has kids. and, And this is one of your senators. And then the teacher wants to say, and here's your representative and your representative is the following person. And here's his story and he's married to his husband and they have three kids and and here's the path that led him into the House of Representatives. Well, number one, I think a lot of parents would say even mentioning that your representative is gay is classroom instruction on sexual orientation and we're gonna bring a lawsuit, right? The other thing, and this is kind of insidious and I think it's really good to focus on this, When you say that Senator Marco Rubio is married and has a wife and they have kids, you're talking about his sexual orientation, right? Straight people have a sexual orientation too. It's not just gay and bisexual people. And I think everybody kind of gets that if you talk in the classroom about the fact that there are people in the world who are married to people of the opposite sex, you're not violating this law. Right? Nobody thinks that mentioning that Governor DeSantis is married to a woman is a violation of this law. But everybody kind of gets that if you mention that a gay member of the House of Representatives from Florida is married to a man, that suddenly causes all kinds of problems. And so this isn't just about, as it were, you know, a kind of equal application of not talking about these ideas. It's specifically about not talking about people who are something other than straight, right? Or to not talking about people who are trans. So there's an equality issue here, right? There's a there's an issue of um, one group of people being erased from the life of the institution, even to the point of not being able to teach a civics class if you're going to talk about your own member of the House of Representatives in some school districts in Florida.
0: The other point you made in your first answer was the idea of the enforcement, for lack of a better term. And you took the words right out of my mouth that when you kind of learn about this y- you see parallels in a different way to that Texas abortion law where it puts the onus on citizens policing other citizens and having the power to just make a phone call and put the wheels in motion and uh it's regardless of the circumstance it's automatically assumed that you know this is a, a good faith uh, attack and that you know I mean it's it's almost like comic book villain in its the way it kind of asserts itself constantly as people looking over their shoulders regardless of who they're around.
1: Well, and it's a catastrophically bad way of setting up and running a government, right? I mean, the the Texas law, um, and you know, we don't have to go too far afield on the Texas law, but what the Texas law says is that there's this private right of action against individual people if they perform or facilitate an abortion in violation of this law, right? So you can sue a doctor or you can sue a clinic, or maybe even you can sue an Uber driver who is driving somebody to seek the procedure, right? Florida has said there's this private right of action against the district. And the idea of putting this kind of vague, broad restriction on any classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity, and then putting this, this weapon in the hands of parents that they can turn towards the school district whenever they're unhappy about it, it's a terrible way to set up your government, right? And I I, I hope, I mean, look, I, I obviously am, I'm not uh, agnostic on this bill. I think it's a terrible bill for a whole lot of reasons, but I hope it doesn't get used in some of the more abusive ways that it's easy to see it getting used because people could start using the threat of lawsuits or the actuality of lawsuits to terrorize school districts in all kinds of ways and and to just stop them from doing their work and it's just bad education policy i mean leaving aside the lgbt issues which are really intense it's just a terrible way to set up how your government works and how your school districts work
0: we need to take a break we will have more with tobias wolf from the university of pennsylvania carry law school right after this this is kyw news radio in depth and we are back continuing our conversation with the University of Pennsylvania Kerry Law School professor Tobias Wolf. I feel like the last 20 years we've made so much progress as a society when it comes to, you know, acceptance of LGBTQ rights and mainstreaming. And for it seems like the vast majority of people, it is not really an issue. So how did we kind of get here? Is it the, the, the really cynical that it just scores political points for a Republican governor with the, the diehards of his base and we're we're seeing people's lives destroyed or, or pushed aside simply for the next election? Or is, is there something else at work here? Because that's the thing. This has kind of boomerang backwards so fast that it even as a cynic, it genuinely surprises me.
1: I, so I think what you just said captures a lot of it. I, I think this is. Wedge politics, right? I think this is exploitation politics on the part of governor deSantis and and, you know, a lot of Republican state legislatures. It's Republicans right now, state legislatures around the country. And I think it's also the case that, look, we have collectively been through something really traumatic over the last two plus years, right? I mean, this pandemic, has made us feel like we have to be managing risk all the time. It's made us feel isolated, a lot of us in all kinds of ways. It's broken down a lot of uh, social connections. Uh, I think a lot of experts would tell you that the, the rise in crime recently probably has a lot to do with the fact that social bonds and social community structures broke down in some ways under the pandemic. And particularly parents of kids, young kids in particular, Boy, oh boy, have they been through it, right? I mean, figuring out how to send your kids safely to school and keep your kids safe, figuring out how to keep other members of your family safe, figuring out how to deal with remote instruction for parents who had to do that. It was a moment in time when I think that cynical political advocates and operatives could use the ways in which parents have felt out of control in relation to their kids and in relation to their safety and in relation to their educations and to say, look at these, you know, these left-wing people who are trying to do all these things behind your back, we're going to give you back control, right? And the way that these bills, the Florida law and others are being marketed is as parental control. And it's smart. I mean, in a, in a really, you know, in a really insidious way. I think they figured out that this was a moment in time when people would respond to the idea of being able to have more sort of day-to-day control over what's happening with their kids in school, and um, I think that has a lot to do with it as well. I think that uh, some very dedicated anti-LGBTQ advocates picked their moment and picked their spot, and were able to sell these bills as something that politicians could use to um, you know, curry favor both with their base, but also with parents who may not have thought very carefully about what these bills mean, but just want to have a sense of greater control for their kids and their education,
0: which I completely understand. To that point, and to the point you talked about a terrible way to to run your government, do these hold up to legal scrutiny, one? And number two, it seems to me they're kind of untenable because you just can keep going down the rabbit hole. Uh so, you know, without asking you to kind of predict the future, but what are some things we could kind of see that would kind of put this to a, a a moment where we kind of get some kind of a resolution.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So, the the legal and constitutional scrutiny question. Um, you know, these this is a new kind of law, so part of part of this is prediction for what courts would do. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about the First Amendment and the idea that this, uh, you know, you're you're restricting speech in the public schools and following ways. And so that must implicate the First Amendment. That's not so clear to me, because what the bills do, what the Florida law does is to set curricular policy for the public schools and to set rules about what school officials are allowed to say when they're in the process of doing their jobs, right? When teachers are in the classroom, when when school nurses are doing their job as school nurses. And there's some pretty strong First Amendment case law from the Supreme Court that says that when what you're talking about is government speech, right, Uh, the government's own message, including a curriculum in public schools or speech that Uh, public officials, public employees are undertaking in the course of their official duties, that the government is allowed to have its own message, the government is allowed to instruct its own employees what message to put forward when they're acting in their official capacities, right? That deference is pretty broad. And so it remains to be seen, for example, let's say that a student raises a gay issue in class, right? Let's say that a student, for example, says, well, I have two moms and my two moms say the following about civic engagement and civic duty or American history or whatever it is that they're talking about. If school officials begin telling students, you're not allowed to talk about your family, even though other students are allowed to talk about their families, that might introduce some first amendment issues. But If the law is just winds up being about regulating the curriculum and what teachers say, it's not at all clear that there's a first amendment hook there. Now, the other way of thinking about these laws from a constitutional standpoint is through an equality principle. And the principle would be straightforward, which is that gay and transgender students are being denied equal access to an education, right? If they get singled out, and they and they alone are not allowed to ever have their lives or their history or their families discussed as a topic in the public schools, then that is a denial of an equal access to education because everybody else is seeing their selves reflected in the lessons that they're learning and the conversations that are happening in the classroom. And I don't think it's hard to imagine that if a state passed a law like this that was about race, for example, and said, essentially, we adopt an official sort of white nationalist or white supremacist account of American history and any discussion about non-white figures in history is prohibited in our classrooms. I don't think it's hard to see that there would be an actionable equality issue there, an equal protection issue. Uh, the law is less well established right now when it comes to that principle outside the context of race. Race, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons, both historical and constitutional, gets treated in a somewhat different category. But I think that there's a strong argument that the same principle should apply. You can't erase one class of students from the curriculum and still say that they're getting an equal uh, equal
0: education. And I think it's if you want to look at this purely kind of through the enforcement, I think one of the things that could be make people pause, even if you put aside, you know, the effect on gay and trans kids and, and look at it purely kind of through almost an economic, you know, one of these, some of these small school districts get blasted with a couple of these lawsuits and don't have the money. I think there's a lot of people that maybe didn't think this through and, you know, what happens when some of these districts start getting hit with these lawsuits? They can't pay them. And where do you go from there if all of a sudden a school doesn't have money to operate because of something a sixth grade civics teacher said? It just you don't have to draw that many lines to to get from A to B. I think that's
1: right. And what's more, I kind of wonder if part of the cynical calculation behind these laws is a kind of chicken that the drafters of these laws are playing because if parents started bringing lawsuits about discussion of straight sexual orientation right if parents started bringing lawsuits against school districts anytime a school district mentioned that George Washington was married to Martha Washington right that Abraham Lincoln was married to Mary Todd Lincoln right that's a discussion of sexual orientation right um And if people who oppose these laws started bringing those lawsuits just to make a point and just to sort of hurt school districts by way of saying, this is what this law means, right? Um, Maybe the whole edifice would fall a lot more quickly or else maybe courts would start saying, no, 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 it doesn't mean the straight people, it just means the gay people. In which case, at the very least, it would be that much more clear that there's an equality issue going on here, right? I just don't see a lot of parents who are not ideological extremists on this set of issues bringing lawsuits against their own school districts just to make that point, right? I think that there's a little bit of chicken going on here because the drafters of these laws probably assume that fair-minded parents are not gonna bring this kind of lawsuit to try to bring the whole thing down. I think what we're going to see is parents who have strong views against, you know, any gay or transgender issues being discussed in the school districts being the ones who who threaten these lawsuits. And so part of me wants to see a court have to deal with the full implications of this law. But, you know, part of me doesn't want, a much bigger part of me doesn't want us to be harming our public schools. And, and that's what would happen if people started really bringing the lawsuits that they could be bringing.
0: And how alarmed are you? It seems, you know, uh, other states are, if not fast tracking, kind of looking into this. Uh, and if it becomes more, uni- not universal, but you see it in more places, uh, more people start paying attention, and maybe we we see more challenges, and it kind of get ex- gets it's exposed for what it is. I'm very worried about it. Uh, you probably know there are these national
1: right- wing advocacy organizations that uh, push out proposed draft legislation. right? They draft legislation for state legislatures. and they work with sympathetic, friendly state legislators who will basically just introduce the bills that have been written for them by these organizations often or or just tweak a little bit. And we're seeing this right now, both with the bills like the Florida law and also statutes that are modeled on what, the Texas governor is trying to do with respect to trans kids and the parents of trans kids, right? Literally trying to tear families apart and initiate child welfare investigations of parents and potentially terminate their parental rights and maybe even have uh, criminal attention to them when all they're trying to do is get appropriate uh, medical care for their trans kids, right? Uh, There's a bill in Idaho that is uh, in the legislature there right now that would codify a statutorily a version of what the governor of Texas tried to do is in the process of trying to do, and I worry a lot that we are you know we're in the middle of a wave of this legislation that is being pushed for cynical political purposes, and this is how bad laws get enacted right I mean you, you find yourself in the middle of a wave. And these laws get passed in a lot of states. And then unless the courts find some appropriate basis for intervening, you're stuck with these laws until the pendulum swings enough that you can get the legislature and the governor to take them off the books. And I worry a lot. and and the fact that these laws are targeting a really vulnerable population of kids, right? Kids who are you know at at risk of being bullied. Uh, who are at risk of not having supportive households? Gay and transgender kids are massively overrepresented in foster care systems because a lot of them wind up having unsafe situations in their birth homes, and they and they run away. They're much greater risk at uh, uh, for mental health uh, impacts because of this kind of hostile atmosphere, um, including the possibility of harming themselves. Right? It's it's just urgently worrying and and I think
0: we're just at the beginning of a wave of this legislation. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.